This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're sipping our way into episode number 70. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from Natural Birth and Baby Care. I hope that this podcast episode finds you and your little ones healthy and well, but in the event that it doesn't, what we are going to talk about is taking care of common childhood ailments at home. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, as I record this, we're actually moving into summer, so we're kind of moving out of that season that we associate with sickness, but my family is just starting to get over this relatively ridiculous cough cold thing the kids got over it easier than scott and i did but one thing that i've noticed is that late spring and early summer colds are probably the worst that there are they just linger and drag on and i don't know if it's because the there's pollen in the air and we're opening up the house and kind of stirring up dust and stuff and that exacerbates it but whatever it is there's a lot going on. Uh, so I was kind of thinking along those lines and getting things ready for Smart Mama Happy Baby. We've got a Mama MD section in there where we talk about getting together a family medicine chest and doing all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of been on my mind. And I thought that it would be a good podcast episode to do. And it's also something good to already have in your arsenal when in just a couple of months we're going to be looking at moving towards fall and then we'll all be thinking about sickness again so that you can you can look this up and refresh your memory. Okay, having said that, we'll jump into the episode in just a second. I did want to apologize because I feel like I rambled a lot on the last podcast episode and maybe I shared a little bit more about my background than you wanted to hear or you know what what I'm thinking and going on with me, though I do hope that you found that valuable and I had a bit of a grumpy Sadie going on there some throughout the episode too. Hopefully I'm going to get through this episode with no grumping and we'll just talk about keeping you and your little ones safe, but, uh, but that's life my life. And uh, again, I sometimes feel like maybe there's a little bit too much of my life in the podcast. So I apologize if that's bothersome, but hopefully, hopefully you got something out of it. Okay, with that, let's jump on into today's episode. So what I want to talk about today is treating childhood illnesses at home. I, I think that as parents, we sometimes lack confidence in ourselves. But the truth is, is that what makes a good care provider, as in an outside care provider, not you, uh, is a doctor or nurse or a physician's assistant or anybody who will really listen to you and who looks at all aspects of the issue. So they look at the clinical symptoms, they listen to what their patient is telling them, or in the case with your child, what you, the parent, are telling them about what's going on as well as the child, if the child is verbal. And so they really, their powers of observation and their powers of listening are their greatest assets. And of course, they have clinical knowledge and clinical experience that I feel is very valuable. But their primary skill is the ability to listen and discern. And and maybe you could even say put puzzle pieces together or be a good detective. And those are skills that you as a mother or you as a father can also develop. I always feel like it's a good idea to have a care provider that you can work with, 
This could be an alternative healthcare provider, like a naturopath or a chiropractor. It could also be just a, a family physician uh, or a general practitioner. We have a, a family physician that our entire family sees. We don't see her very often. I try and get my kids all in for their annual checkups or when they're little for for their other checkups. But we don't really go a lot for illnesses. Uh, in fact, I can't really think of ever going for an illness. We've gone, we've gone to see her for follow-ups on some injuries. But, um, but you know, she's there. She's a resource. I've called some before we moved up here. Uh, and when I only had three really little ones, I called some. But I've always felt pretty confident in myself as a parent and in the basics. So I think that having that relationship with a care provider is important. But I also want you to gain confidence in yourself as a parent and your powers of observation. The biggest question, though, which is related to that when you're thinking about treating a childhood illness at home. And when I say childhood illness, uh, I could be talking about a cold, a fever. We could be talking about something like the chicken pox. You know, there's a whole gamut of those things, and most of them can be addressed at home. But the biggest question is always, should you call? Should you call the care provider? In reality, I can't answer that question for you. That's a question that you need to answer. I hope, though, that what I what I share with you today on this podcast will help you decide. I will say that if your instincts are telling you something's going on, this is more than I can handle, or I'm not sure if I can handle this, or I want to get somebody else's input, then I believe you should always err on the side of that that instinct, that uh, intuition, whatever you want to call it, that little pinprick there that's telling you in your mind, okay, I need to consult with somebody on this, then call. You know, never hesitate on calling if you feel like you really should just because you, you know, you're wanting to try and stay away from the doctor or you're scared of antibiotics or whatever. You know, call if you really feel like that's what you should do. I want you to call. I have told myself a few times with my kids that if such and such doesn't happen, you know, or if the child doesn't seem to be making improvements an X amount of time, then I'll call. But my kids have always, you know, they've always perked up. But I've always had that idea in my mind of I will call when. And then when we've had injuries where I've called right away. Galen, our fourth, is especially kind of fond of head injuries. And and we've called some for him uh, and gone into urgent care for him for that. But in general, in general for sicknesses, we try and stay home. But with the big question, should I call or not? The answer is always if you feel like you need to call, then you need to call. If you don't think that you need to call, then you can observe your child carefully, watch over your child, take care of your child in an intelligent way, and your child will probably be fine, or you'll realize, okay, I need to call. And then you can call the care provider and ask them what you should do. Should you go in? Should you go to the emergency room? This, that, or the other. So you can progress from there. Okay, so always listen to yourself. This kind of segues into the next thing that I have on the outline, which is should you go in. I believe that uh, that really even with an injury, 
you know, you're going to end up calling before you go in because if it's something really bad, you're probably going to call 911 or whatever the uh, emergency dispatch is in your country. I know that we have listeners all over the world. But, or even if it's something, you know, like Galen, when we went into urgent care with him, he fell, um, got a head wound on the back of his head, there was blood everywhere, and so uh, the first thing I did actually was call my husband at work, because at that time we lived in town, and he was in walking distance, I called him and told him he needed to come home, like right then, Um, and then I called, I called the doctor's office and did the most doctor's office even if you get the answering service or you get the answering machine they have an emergency thing and um and they can page the doctor or if you can't get anybody like sometimes the machine will tell you you need to call the dispatch at the hospital and then the hospital will page the care provider i think that's actually what we did for galen but they called us back within minutes and said okay go ahead and take him into urgent care you don't need to go to the ER, but they gave us direction. So if you're unsure, I feel like it's usually best to call because then you a know you know where your doctor wants you to go, um, and then b you don't end up going somewhere that would be overkill. Such as we really didn't want to go to the emergency room; urgent care was good enough, and you probably don't want to go to urgent care if the doctor's office is going to be good enough. Because each of those places, A, probably involves more expense, B, probably involves more time, and C, involves more exposure to germs and pathogens, and probably the likelihood of heavy intervention. So I think that if you feel like you might need to go in, it's best to call first and check with your care provider and ask them what their advice is. And sometimes they might tell you, I don't think that you need to go into the office, but this is what you should do at home. This happened to me when Cassidy, Asher, and Brennan, our eldest children, were little, and they had the chicken pox, or I thought that they had the chicken pox. It was pretty convincing, the chicken pox. So I called the doctor's office to see, did I need to bring them in? Uh, And the nurse said, no, chicken pox is going around. If it looks like they have the chicken pox, that's probably it. Just stay home. This is what you need to do. So she didn't really even want us to come in because they didn't want anybody else to get the chicken pox uh, from my kids. But so usually calling is a good way uh, to get an assessment. And I think that calling is good too, because especially if you're upset or you're really worried or even feeling panicky, which is easy to happen when you have a little one who is sick, They can help you. You have to first calm down to be able to make the call, and then they can help you think calmly and logically. They can ask questions that help you understand the situation more objectively. So it's it's often a good thing to do, to call and then determine if you go in. The next big question is, should I use medicine? Um, With my kids, personally for our family, we have never needed to use any medication like antibiotics for anything with our kids. Now, I've had friends whose kids have had something particularly virulent who have decided to use antibiotics. This one is it's real similar to should you call. It's you think about it, you think about what is, you know, what feels right for you and your family. Think about what your care provider who is really your consultant, your partner in caring for your child, think about what they have advised for you. And then you go from there. And sometimes 
you might be advised something that you don't feel comfortable with, like you've been told that your child has a viral illness and the doctor is so used to parents wanting a prescription that they write a prescription for an antibiotic, which isn't going to help anything. And then you can say something about that. Or, for instance, we know that usually cough medications or cold medications are basically ineffective. And they're especially not effective and maybe even harmful for little ones. That would be another instance. The biggest thing that parents usually encounter, aside from antibiotics, is they encounter, should I use a medication to lower fevers? And we're going to come back to fevers in a little bit. So we'll talk about that. Along those lines of should I use a medication is should I use an herbal remedy or something similar, maybe a quote-unquote more natural remedy or a homeopathic remedy or something like that. There are some remedies that are pretty well established and most people feel comfortable with them, such as something like an echinacea tincture or a cough tincture, or just an immune-boosting tincture. Uh, one company that that does a lot of them um, is Trilite Herbs. It took me a minute to think about it. Trilite Herbs, they have a lot of just immune-supporting tinctures, and I have used their products with my kids and I think that if there's something going on, like especially something febrile, so something with a fever going on, that giving something immune boosting like that is not a bad idea. Another time that I really use something like that is if somebody feels like they've got some sort of inflammation or swelling, like especially in the gums or in the mouth. Some sort of, something that's obviously an infection um, or a sore or something that's infected. I definitely like giving immune-boosting herbs at that point in time. Another really common thing is like eucalyptus essential oil. So essential oils are another big one. But eucalyptus essential oil in the medicine tray of a vaporizer, lavender essential oil, which is very gentle and can be applied directly to the skin, lavender, not eucalyptus, but lavender uh, on a bruise or a bump, Something else for bruises and bumps is the homeopathic arnica. And there have been studies done on arnica that, sh that are conflicting. So we don't know if it really helps or not. But to me, it seems to help. And it's inexpensive. But homeopathic remedies are a whole can of worms. But arnica seems to be pretty, uh, pretty effective. And then there are other things like ginger tea and stuff like that. Digestive aids. There are a lot of remedies that kind of have a traditional niche. And many of many of us, many parents, might feel comfortable using that. And I think that that's okay. I think that if you're going to use an herb that, or any type of natural remedy, that we don't really know, you know, we don't know a lot about it, like echinacea has been studied extensively, and a lot of herbs have actually, especially like the German Commission e-monographs and things have really cataloged a lot of herbal effects. But what's important is that Herbs can be really potent. They can be as potent as medications. So they're not antibiotics, really. They don't kill germs in the same way, just like a straight flush, a straight straight kill the germs kind of thing going on. But And usually, so they're more supportive of the body, but they can still have really potent effects. 
So if you're interested in herbs or even essential oils or even homeopathic remedies or anything like that, then I would say do some study, do some research, get to know the basics and the basic pretty safe remedies like echinacea tincture for kids. It, it would Often it's a glycerite for kids rather than a tincture done in vodka, but I mean the alcoholic ones are not really quote-unquote alcoholic either. Um, but, you know, like a glycerite tincture of echinacea or uh, a weak ginger tea or weak chamomile tea, both of those are helpful for digestion. That sort of thing is okay. But if you're thinking about something heavy-duty for like some sort of heavy-duty illness, then I would definitely want to do your research on it just like you would for a drug. And even if you're going to go to, say, Trilite Herbs and buy one of their tinctures, which they're, I really like their tinctures because they clearly document it. Their pregnancy tinctures were designed by a midwife. Uh, their tinctures for other life stages and other illnesses and things are well-researched and well-documented. I feel pretty confident in them. But still, if I was going to give one to my child, especially my young child, I would really do my research on it first and I would research each individual thing in the formula because often those are combination formulas and this is the same thing that goes often like traditional Chinese remedies have many things in the remedy. So you would want to research each of those things and just be sure about it. So that I guess maybe you could say that that limits its usefulness for an acute illness that may be something that's only going to last a few days. But that's where you have those standbys like the echinacea, uh, like the eucalyptus and the vaporizer. Those things that we know are generally regarded as safe and beneficial. That's the place for those things. And then if you're dealing with something else um, that's perhaps more persistent, you can really look into some of them, the heavy hitters or even just understanding the herbs so that you know. So this the summation of this is it's the same advice that I give in mama baby birthing. Excuse me, when I'm talking to the pregnant mamas in my class is look at herbs just as if they were the same as a prescription drug. Look at over over the counter drugs just as if as if they were the same as a prescription drug. And look at that for your child too. Think about it real carefully. Do you want to use it? What are the risks and the benefits um, for herbs just as well as for any other kind of medication? The most important thing to do, let's talk about actually caring for our children now when they're sick. The most important thing to do really for any kind of illness that your child may have at home is to keep your child hydrated. Children can go a few days without eating. If you still have a nursing little one, you're really fortunate because he or she will probably still nurse, uh, even if they go off solid foods. But children can last for a few days really eating the bare minimum. But as you probably know, they really need to be hydrated. And if you hydrate adequately, you can probably take care of most illnesses at home. Now, if there's something that's really bad, if your child has a really high fever, if your child isn't breathing well, I mean, like, it's not just normal stuffiness that you may be able to hear a little stuffiness in me, but I mean, your child can't breathe for whatever reason, then you need to call um, and, and possibly go to the doctor or even the hospital. But f for most normal illnesses, normal run-of-the-mill sicknesses, tummy bugs, colds, coughs, that sort of thing, and even things like chicken pox or even something like the measles, the, the key to successfully caring for it is going to be rest and hydration. And really just observing your child, keeping an eye on your child, and keeping your child hydrated. 
Hydrating a sick kid does not mean just giving them a bottle of water and saying drink, 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 drink. Nor do I think that it means keeping a jug of Pedialyte on hand and giving that to your child. Pedialyte is an electrolyte replacement solution. I certainly think it has its place. I certainly don't think that it's evil or anything. And maybe if your child was severely dehydrated and it was either Pedialyte or going to the hospital to get fluids, Pedialyte would be good. But I also don't think that you really need to get to that point. Now, I don't think that water is the best choice. But if you want to avoid something like Pedialyte or Gatorade, I mean, or if you're okay with those, those work the same too. But what we've always used is homemade chicken broth. So we have stock. I usually try and keep some in the freezer just in case we don't have any on hand uh, and, and an illness strikes. Either that or I'm sending Scott to the store to buy a chicken uh, so that I can roast that and then make stock. But we usually have stock on hand. But the, the good thing about a chicken broth or a homemade bone broth is that it's very mineral rich. So it's got a lot of minerals in it, and then you need to add salt to it. But when you do that, it's got a pretty good electrolyte balance, and it's going to help restore uh, what your child's body is losing through the illness. Now, if your child has a cough or a cold, they're probably going to be drinking okay. Um, Fever, you need to make sure that they're getting fluids regularly, and especially if your child is throwing up or has diarrhea, So they're losing a lot of fluids either because they're having trouble keeping things down or everything's just running right through them. Then you really want to make sure that they're getting fluids. And something that's got more than just water, something that's bringing something back into their body, a nourishing fluid like a bone broth or Pedialyte if if there's nothing else, that is what you want to give them. But you don't want to give them a lot because especially if they're throwing up or having trouble keeping something down um, it could all come back up and then they could end up losing more fluid than they had already now if you're nursing I would nurse on demand and sometimes nursing babies they I mean they will want to nurse pretty much continuously and if they're able to do that then that's fine okay so if you're breastfeeding your baby then that changes this dynamic and if they're taking in solids you can try the broth but really what you want to do is you want to stay really hydrated maybe even eating things like some oatmeal um, taking in some rich richer fatty foods yourself like oatmeal with cream and butter basically stuff to just boost and fortify your supply because you want to keep your child nursing and breastfeeding as much as possible and you want that milk supply to keep up with their demand if they're listless and not asking to nurse then you offer frequently okay but if they're not nursing or in addition to nursing then offer this fluid like the bone broth frequently but not in large amounts so something like a teaspoon or a little bit of a teaspoon every 30 minutes or every hour I mean, just something to get it in. And at first, it might be like a teaspoon every hour, and then you can gradually increase it. Or like half a teaspoon, and then 30 minutes later, another half a teaspoon. And then maybe 45 minutes after that, you try an entire teaspoon. And you may want to keep a timer going, especially if you're also doing something like giving echinacea. And so you need you give that like every two hours. You may want to have timers going or alarms on your phone 
so that you know when it's time to give something else. And that that lets you keep their body hydrated, but you're not giving so much that you stimulate um, a vomiting reflex, which is a really big problem when somebody's got a stomach bug. You want to make sure that what you put in is actually going to stay down and is going to hydrate them. And as long as you're able to keep that going in, your child is probably going to do better or is probably going to be okay and it's going to make it through without needing to get supplemental fluids or anything because you're just able to keep that low level of fluid going to them and then they're going to get over it and they're going to be able to eat like a little bit of soup, maybe a little bit of soup broth with rice, maybe a little bit of chicken soup. You know, that's the Jewish grandma's cure for the cold and really there's a lot of wisdom in that folk wisdom there. But as long as you can keep those fluids going in little amounts to get through the most acute part of the illness, the most intense part of the illness, your little one is probably going to be okay. So that's the most most important thing, I think, is making sure that they're getting fluids. You might could argue that the next thing is the most important thing, or maybe they're, maybe they're equal, or maybe this one's more. I don't know. But the other thing is rest. So you really want them to get a lot of rest because when they're resting their bodies are healing and their body is fighting whatever the infection is. So rest. If you've got a nursing baby who's sick, then plan to plan to take time off of work if you're working or plan to take time out of whatever you have planned for the day. You probably have a busy schedule regardless of whether you work inside the home or outside the home. But if you've got a sick baby or a sick toddler, You may want to just plan to let all of that go so you can cuddle with them. And this is especially true if they're nursing. You know, just kick your feet up in the recliner and rock and nurse them throughout the day. Do make sure you take care of your own needs. Grab a quick lunch for yourself. But but just be there and just encourage them to nurse. And if they're sick and older than... uh, we got some really heavy winds here, ladies. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, But if you can, I'm sorry. But anyways, so if the, you know, if they're not nursing, you still want to be giving them those fluids every so often and you want to be encouraging them to rest. So maybe cuddling with them on the couch or cuddling with them in their bed. I I, I like having my kids out front on the couch, I think because as a child, I really didn't like being in my room alone when I was sick. I just didn't like that. Maybe some people do like that. So what you want to do for your child might be opposite based on your memories. But I just didn't like that. So uh, so I like to have mine out on the couch. And if they've got a tummy bug, I, I cover the couch with towels first, just in case, have a little dish pan nearby, that sort of thing. But I like to have them out front where I can monitor them, where I can cuddle with them, or even if I'm up doing something to help another child, or during the school year if I'm going over homeschool lessons with kids who aren't sick, I can keep a close eye on them, and I can make sure that they're resting. I I usually try not to do a lot of movies or things if a, if a child is sick, because even though that tends to keep them quiet and calm, and if that's the only way you could keep your child calm, maybe do movies, but they're stimulating, whereas I want to rest, so or I want them to rest, so I might instead keep things low-key, uh, try and keep the room a little darker, maybe even light candles, which kind little kids kind of take a sense of reverence and awe from candles lit nearby, uh, pull the blinds, 
play soothing music, maybe read some books out loud. That's a good thing to do, but not really exciting adventure stories, more low-key stories so that you're just keeping things calm. And if it's a lingering illness, maybe trying to keep things low-key, playing on the den floor, but not a lot of active play. I remember one time when Cassidy Asher and Brennan were little and they were sick and it, it was a lingering illness that took a while to work its way through and but they just they weren't going to be able to stay on the couch for the week and a half that it took to really get everybody chipper and ship shape so the kids that were feeling good enough we just had like little stacking toys and um and these little toy animals that it was like a bunch of turtles like 50 turtles in different colors and 50 little bears in different colors and we just lined those up in different patterns and stuff along the den floor. Just little things that I could do to keep them occupied so they wouldn't want to be running and jumping around, but they were still able to rest and relax and heal. So that, you know, that kind of low-key stuff, being with them, being low-key, keeping them hydrated, keeping them rested, that's really important. <clears throat> Again, I wouldn't worry so much about food. Food will come when the illness is over. So as long as you're keeping them hydrated, now if it's been days and days and days and they're still not eating, yeah, let's call, let's get some help, let's get some something to figure out. But in general, usually a day or two is all that a kid's going to go really maybe rejecting food and then they'll get back into it gradually. And you do want to build into it gradually with blander stuff, broths and easy soups, um, chicken or rice or um, if you're... If your child is over a year, eggs can be really gentle too. But I wouldn't do that for a little one under a year because sometimes, well, you don't want to do egg whites at all, but egg yolks sometimes are harder for little ones. But eggs are generally pretty gentle to digest. Um, Or bland toast or something like that if you guys do toast. Those sorts of things just to start getting them a little bit more energy in. I wouldn't go with anything really sugary unless, you know, you're needing to use Pedialyte or something like that just to restore the electrolyte balance in their system and get them some quick energy because they're really flagging. Um, maybe fruits like like something really low-key. Again, this would be for a kid who was older or a toddler, but maybe like something like berries or a gentle fruit like apples. But otherwise, a lot of sugar you don't want because sugar kind of has an immune-suppressing effect. But let's talk about fevers. So if your child has a fever... I could do an entire episode on fevers, but the first thing I want to do is challenge your perception that a fever is a bad thing. A fever is actually a good thing, and a fever is a sign that your your child's body is fighting the illness. So unless the fever is really getting very high, we don't want to stop the fever. So when people ask, should I use Tylenol? I think that if it's a situation where you feel like the fever is getting dangerously high, then maybe you use Tylenol. And we usually do keep a bottle of infants and children's Tylenol and also a bottle of adult Tylenol in our medicine chest. But I I don't think I've ever, I always end up having to throw them out because they've expired, ever used the children's Tylenol. And the adult's Tylenol has only ever gotten used if I have a fever in early pregnancy. Because that's a time when you just, you don't really want to mess with a fever because of what's going on with fetal development. But otherwise... In general, unless a fever is getting really, really high, a fever is a good thing, and you want to encourage it. Uh, And you want to keep 
you want to keep the fever doing what it's doing. So keep your child bundled up, not excessively so, you know, but a blanket and pajamas on the couch because you want to let that fever do its work. And there, I, I'm really sad sometimes that there's no, no real mothering magazine anymore. Um, because they had such great articles, but there was a mothering magazine article about the healing crisis and it was just such a good article. And they, they talked about how after a fever, children often have a developmental leap. So it's almost like the fever, the fever gets rid of the infection, but it also burns off some of the old, some of the congestion, some of that. And then the child, once they heal from the fever, they're renewed and they're refreshed and their body is primed and ready to go. And there are big developmental leaps. And I I have seen the truth of this in my own children. So I don't, I think that fevers are inconvenient and they can be scary, but I think that they are good things and they're signs that our children's bodies work well. And we need to allow a fever to do what it's supposed to do. Now, if a fever is getting really high and you're worried about it, one thing you can do to help bring a fever down without having to use Tylenol is to give a child a tepid bath, which is, I mean, it's pretty safe and it can help lower the fever a bit. So that's if the, if the child's fever is getting really high. You know, if you're seeing a fever go above 101, 102, you might try a tepid bath to lower it. And then if it keeps going up, that's the point that I would say call your care provider. And if you have a young baby, a newborn or under three months, under six months old, and you're seeing any sort of a fever at all, go ahead and call your care provider and ask them what to do. But in general, you're going to be able to deal with fevers at home and letting the fever run its course is a good thing. What do you do if there are stomach bug or gut issues or that sort of thing? We actually talked about this a lot when we talked about why hydration was so important. And that's really the big thing to do. If there's a tummy bug or if there's diarrhea is is keep keep the body hydrated. Because chances are it's a bug that's going to run its course. Sometimes parents are worried because what, you know, what if it's not going to stop or what if they have diarrhea and they're just going to get so dehydrated that we're going to have to go to the hospital. And there are some folk remedies that are supposed to be able to help with that, like barley water is something that can possibly be helpful for that. Um, And so you can look those things up and see, is there something that I want to do? But usually hydration is sufficient and with some sort of a stomach illness like that you may also want to do small amounts of an immune booster like an echinacea tincture or an echinacea mixed tincture so like trilite herbs has one called back out and that would be a good choice uh, for stomach bug gut issues Uh, They also have one called Viramune, which is what I would probably choose for fever, though you can have a fever that's of bacterial origin. But these tinctures are just formulas that have immune-boosting herbs in them. And uh, Shonda Parker is a wonderful master herbalist who I actually was able to attend conferences from her. But she has some wonderful books out there. And I will link to some of her books. One of them is Mommy Diagnostics um, in the show notes. But... 
she recommends re- recommended that that you alternate like every two hours that you alternate the formula so you might give an echinacea tincture and then something like back out um, or scout out is another one that trilite herbs has those are what I've used so those are the names that I know but you alternate so that you're building up the levels of beneficial herbs in the body but not just giving one type and a, a tummy bug or uh, or diarrhea illness, that that would be a good time to do something like that because you're supporting the child's body while it's trying to do what it's supposed to do. But again, uh, a stomach bug or diarrhea, when you see those in your child, they're scary like a fever, but they're a sign that your child's body is doing what it's supposed to do. My kids are definitely prone to throwing up which is no fun especially not when you have a bunch of kids but that's when my kids get sick that's what they do like their body is like I'm gonna eject this whoosh and I comfort myself by saying that my children are effective at ejecting things but you know it's it's not pleasant for them or for me but as long as they stay hydrated I know that they're probably going to be okay and that their body is effectively pushing out what's not good. And if I can keep the hydration going, then their stomachs are going to settle down, their bowels are going to settle down, and they're going to be okay. And again, if you're really worried, if it's really persistent diarrhea, if you've got a really young baby, but again, nursing, nurse, 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 nurse as much as you can. Um, But then call because if you're worried, it's better to be safe than sorry. Now, <clears throat> coughs and colds are the other big category of illness that you're going to see um, without getting into like the rash illnesses like measles and chickenpox and stuff. And we, we, we can save those for another episode because this one's getting long. But coughs and colds and things, if you're dealing with that, what I think is really best, first of all, is to keep your child's nose clean. Because when that stuff builds up on their nose, uh, not only do they have trouble breathing, but once it gets dried and crusty, it really hurts them to have it come off. So keep your little one's nose clean. Keep saline solution on hand. Uh, I don't like, babies don't like being suctioned at all. But if they're having trouble breathing, then some saline solution and a bulb syringe or, um, or like one of those nose Frida things that that uh, that they have around now, something like that to just gently clear the mucus or the mucus plug because sometimes it gets really thick and it forms like a plug in there. To get that out can be good with an older child. Just doing something like some saline drops may be pretty effective at helping them. So that's just to clear the nose. Another thing that's really effective, I've already mentioned it, is to do a vaporizer. Get one that has a medicine tray on it, and then put several drops of eucalyptus essential oil on that. And then you and your your child or your child, if they're in the room alone, you know, put them in the room with the vaporizer, and that eucalyptus oil. Just just really helps to clear um, clear out things, clear out congestion and cut through congestion. Is I think it's very effective. So it's definitely something that I recommend. Something else that can work well, especially for a cough or a croupy cough, is taking your child into a steamy bathroom. So go in the bathroom, turn on the shower full steam, hold your child. And then sometimes 
a very stark change of environment. So sitting in that steamy bathroom or that steamy room from the vaporizer and then going out into cold night air for a few minutes can really help clear the lungs. There's something about that stark change. But with coughs and colds, it's really, um, it's very much a comfort thing. Now, one thing that can work effectively for a night cough, this is this is actually something that I learned from, uh, from my kid's grandma, is she said that she did it when she kept foster kids, like way, 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 way long ago, many, 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 many years ago. But she would cut a vitamin E capsule open. Um, and then squirt the vitamin E at the back of the child's throat and then give them a little sip of water so that it went down and it, it helps stop night coughing. And I was amazed at just how effective it was. So sometimes your child can have a lingering cough even after an illness is passed and that would be a good time to do something like that. I, I haven't really tried it during the day because usually our kids' coughs are at night though Scott has had a cough during the day a bit, but it works really well. So that's something to think if coughing is going on. We've we've also done a cough tincture from Bulk Herb Store, and I'll link to that, to their blend. It is really effective. It tastes horrible going down, but it's really effective, and that's that one is really effective for adults too because Scott and I both find that it works really well. In fact, we're out right now, and he keeps bugging me that I need to make more. So there are some herbal medicines um, or natural remedies and things that you can use like that. And But the biggest thing, hydration, broth, rest, and just keep your child comfortable, keep things low-key, and be there for them. And for the most part, you and your little one are going to be able to weather any sort of illness at home. All right. I hope that you have a blessed week. I hope that you are not sick this week, and I hope that you stay healthy for many, many, many weeks hence. Uh, And I will talk to you next week. Please leave a rating on iTunes or in Stitcher. Uh, Let me know if you would like to hear something on the podcast and check out the show notes, and I will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.